because they're just tired of that's all that they can do for school, for church, for meetings, whatever it is. So what do we do when we're getting tired? What do we do when we feel inundated? What, what do we do when we feel overwhelmed by life and buried by all those things we got to deal with? How do we as a church, how do we as individual believers actually rise above it? The, um, the 40-day event that we're looking at today uh, comes from a guy that we would never have suspected would have ever felt that way, would have ever felt overwhelmed or, or discouraged, and yet he was. Let me tell you about this guy. When God chooses to take two of the heroes of the faith and let them visit Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration to give Jesus encouragement, this guy was one of those two guys that God had chosen. Uh, he, He was a man who literally heard God's voice and would speak to the people for God as a prophet. He's a man who walked in obedience. He was a prayer warrior. And through him, God did some pretty amazing miracles. Finally, at the end of his life, this man didn't even have to die. Uh, But he was taken up to be with the Lord uh, in a chariot of fire. His name is Elijah. And this morning, I want to take a a look at a 40-day event in Elijah's life that had come immediately after him being on a very spiritual high. Now, the background of the story comes from 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, I mean, I know that we're going to put the the words up there, but some of you, you can't see those words very clearly. So if you'll go to 1 Kings chapter 18, this is where we will find the background of the story. I know that that's me, and I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to try to fix that before we go on. I'm going to take this out of my pocket, just put it right here, and hopefully that will change the little, <coughs> sorry. Anyways, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, this is a great story that shows the kind of person that Elijah was, um, the boldness in which he lived out his faith. Uh, now, Israel at this time had been become very wicked. Uh, if you read through the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you'll see as the kings go, so do the people. You have a good king, the, the, the people turn their, their hearts back to God. You have an evil king, uh, the, the people turn their hearts away from God. And Israel at this time had one of their worst, most evil kings, a guy named Ahab. Uh, Ahab was uh, pretty spineless as well. You, you, you put evil, wicked, and spineless together, that's not a good, that's not a good equation at all. Uh, because Ahab had married a foreign lady named Jezebel, probably in a political move, but he allowed her, this pagan foreign woman, to kind of wear the spiritual pants in the family, if, if you will. See, she had worshipped in her people. They worshipped the gods Baal and Asherah. The, these are two renowned deities in the ancient Middle East. And Ahab uh, would begin to adopt not just politically Jezebel's ways, but he began to put her religious practices in, into his life as well. He turned away from a right relationship with God as he embraced Baal and Asherah more and more. And like I said, Ahab will probably go down in history as one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. And his wife Jezebel would actually become synonymous with wickedness in the book of Revelation. 
And so Elijah makes a bold stand in faith against Jezebel and her religion, her prophets. It it had frustrated him to see Israel turning from God, the one true God, Jehovah, just to hedge their bets, to throw their lot in also with Baal and Asherah. And so it was like one of those moments where Elijah says, I call you out. I call you out. I saw a a great uh, little meme online uh, a couple weeks ago. It was a church reader board, and apparently some of the, uh, the, the letters had either fallen off or they were in the midst of changing everything, because there's three lines. The first line said, Jesus. The second line said, six o'clock. And the third line says, parking lot. Jesus, six o'clock, parking lot. They said, I, I don't want to alarm anybody, but it seems like our church is calling Jesus out for a fight. Jesus, six o'clock, parking lot. That's exactly what Elijah's doing here to the prophets of Baal. Prophets of Baal, Noon, Mount Carmel. Sorry, I, I have no idea why it's doing this. Uh, I will try to uh, not be as boisterous in my, in, in my, in my uh, actions. <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, the, the challenge begins on Mount Carmel, or Carmel. Uh, King Ahab shows up. He's there. 850 false prophets are there. Some of them are uh, prophets of Baal. Some of them are prophets of Asherah. Elijah shows up there with his servant. And a good portion of the general public is there as well because this is one of those pay-per-view UFC fights that they don't want to miss. They're all gathered to watch this this big showdown, this this challenge. Elijah tells them the rules. He's challenged them. He says, these are the rules. There's going to be two altars that are going to be built. One is going to be an altar for Baal. One is going to be an altar for Jehovah. And and then wood and sacrifices will be then put on the altar. And each side would pray to their God. Those, the prophets of Baal will call on Baal. Elijah will call on Jehovah. And whichever God sends fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice on the altar will win. Now, folks, that's a lot of faith that Elijah has in his God. So, so this is a great, bold step of faith that Elijah has because he's gathered all these people around and he's calling on his God, Jehovah God, to show up with power. L- let me ask you at this point, how far does your faith go? How far does your faith go? How much are you willing to put out there in a risk? to show people how powerful your God is uh, and, and for them to see what God really does. This would have been very awkward if God did not show up, right? And, and like if nothing happens, if, if, uh, if this great contest happens and God does not show up, that might have been pretty awkward. And it will turn out to be awkward, but not for Elijah. Now, in, in uh, verse 21 of chapter 18, It tells us that Elijah believed that he was the only one that was standing in a devout faith to the one and only true God. And in verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. There should be a a, a new slide up there. Uh, for those in the back. Now, that challenge, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. That echoes actually a challenge that Joshua 
the great leader of the Israelites after Moses, Joshua, who brought the people into the promised land, he told them as they were going into the promised land, he goes, listen, choose for you this day whom you will serve. Either the gods of your fathers from Egypt or the gods here in Canaan. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, you know that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Folks, that's the, the same choice that we have today. There, see, there's no shades of gray when you're, when you're talking about your spiritual reality. There's not multiple ways to make your relationship right with God. God is not interested in just half of your heart. If Jehovah is going to be your God, great. If something else becomes more central, more important, the thing that, that you rely on and trust in, then I'll tell you this, black and white, Jehovah is not your God. Jehovah is not your God. See, the people of Elijah's day had to make a choice. Baal or Jehovah? Folks, we have to make a choice as well. Your financial portfolio or Jehovah? Your unhealthy relationship with somebody who is leading you away from faith or Jehovah? Your career advancement or Jehovah? Your addiction or Jehovah? It's not often that we actually think about these things in those terms on a day-to-day basis. One of my senior pastors that I got to work under, his father had been saved out of an alcoholic background. Uh, He literally had had his life out of control, turned to Jesus, and Jesus changed him. He he was a, a man who had been a traveling salesman, and after he became a Christian, he continued that that lifestyle. But what he would do is, in his briefcase, as he would go on these business trips, he always carried two things in his briefcase. One was an unopened bottle of whiskey, and one was a Bible. Now, some of you would think that that's pretty uh, foolish, uh, because you're, you're kind of uh, tempting yourself with that. But for Craig, he looked at that as something that represented his choice. He could either go back and allow the alcohol to take over his life once again, or he can turn to God and allow God to continue to be his God, Jehovah. And so that served as a reminder for him that he always has a choice. So do you and I. Out of all of those things that we can give our allegiance to, let me ask you this, though. Out of all of those things, which one's more powerful than God? Which one is more, which one can actually save you and never fail? Oh, you think, oh, your family, that'll never fail me. Yeah, are you sure? Oh, my job will never fail me. You sure? Oh, my addiction, my alcohol, whatever it is, it will never fail me. You better believe it will. But I will also promise you this, because the Bible promises this, God will never fail none of those things as powerful as they can be none of them are more powerful than the god who created the universe and who is in our life today so elijah says hey bailers you go ahead let's let the bailers go first as they as they call on their god as they put the the animal on this on the altar and call on your god to show up in power and nothing happens and so they, they, they start to, to sing and, and cry out louder. And he goes, okay, uh, fine, uh, keep going. See, Elijah begins to throw fuel on the fire by taunting these guys, right? Because they are, they are crying out. They're dancing around the altar. 
They're trying to get Baal's attention. And finally, around noon, Elijah says, oh, well, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's just taking a nap. Maybe you should, maybe you should uh, cry out louder. Or, or maybe, and this is really in the translation, in the Hebrew, he says, maybe, maybe he's on the toilet right now. And he's reading the uh, bathroom reader book. And, uh, and he just, he's concentrating on something else and can't hear you. Why, why don't you yell out more and, and louder? So they do. And then they eventually begin to cut themselves to show how desperate they are for their God to show power. The God that they have chosen to worship and to trust. Three hours go by and it's getting awkward because their God, who is no God at all, is not showing up. And verse 29 says there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And after about seven hours, they give up. Then Elijah says to the people, watch carefully. And then he goes to the altar uh, that had been built to Jehovah that had been vandalized over the the years and had been, and then he rebuilds it. And according to the text there in verse 31, starting in verse 31, this is what we read. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, Then he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sayas of seed. And he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Something that would not make sense at all if you want a fire to come down and consume the animal. You don't soak it in water. Then he says, do it again. And they did it again. Then he says, do it a third time. He ordered them to do that. And they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. If you were in Redmond yesterday or anywhere else in central Oregon, I guess, and that downpour showed up yesterday, man, it flooded our yard. I know that up in Juniper Canyon, there was flooding as well. I mean, when the ground cannot Uh, soak it all in. That's what was going on with this altar. It was soaking wet and and, and the trench then was filled with water as well. Then at the time of the sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord Jehovah, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command Answer me, oh Jehovah, Lord, God, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh Jehovah, are God. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. That's why we sang that song. That's why we sang that song, the days of Elijah. There is no God like Jehovah. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then, verse 38, the fire of Jehovah fell, burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Pretty powerful. 
folks. Pretty powerful. Crazy power. To consume the animal and the wood, that would have been understandable. But they had been soaking. And the stones. And the soil around, the dirt around, and all of the water. Bam! Gone! In one second of fire coming down from heaven. It's a clear victory. There can be no doubt who the winner is of this contest. And then the people declared that truth. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. They were turning back to God. And at that point, all of the Baal prophets, they, they started to get out of there. They wanted to sneak away. But Elijah tells the people to grab them before they can escape. And the pagan prophets are dragged down the mountain and executed. Now, I bet you you've been there. Sometime in your life, God has shown up in such a way that you know that he's there. There's, there's been times where God is just so present in your life. He, he leads you to an amazing place. He does something miraculous. And you cannot deny his power and his presence. And that's where Elijah is. But let me tell you, within hours, all that changes. You see, Ahab actually escapes. He grabs a chariot and heads home to tell Jezebel all the bad news about her prophets, how they have died, how they were defeated, how her God was humiliated. And Jezebel, upon hearing the news, freaks out. She says on oath, Elijah is a dead man. He says, uh, she, she says, may it be done to me according if he is not dead by tomorrow morning. And that's where we now pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, where we are told in verse 3, Elijah, who had just had this amazing victory, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now, wait a minute. Here's a guy. He's a man of faith. Here's a prophet that would represent all of prophets from this time on. And yet he is afraid. Why? God showed up. Elijah had won the contest. So why is he afraid of Jezebel? Why? Well, for one thing, chapter 19, verse 3 comes right after Elijah runs a marathon where he actually outruns Ahab's chariot. That took a lot of energy. And I'll tell you, in my experience, when you expend a lot of energy, you become vulnerable to uh, emotional highs and, and lows. When, when you're tired, things that are funny become funnier. Things that are sad become sadder. Things that make you angry make you angrier. And, and I've learned that when you also, when you gain a spiritual victory, when you're doing well, that's like being out on a battlefield against our enemy Satan and waving the flag. To say, hey, I'm doing great. Now he knows where to hit. Now he knows where to aim his cannons because you've just waved a flag of spiritual high and Satan's not going to want that anymore. So he's going to come at you even stronger. Has anybody else experienced that or is that just me? Uh, Incredibly tough times that come right after incredibly spiritual high times in life. Now the shelter-in-place order... Sure came at an interesting time, I think, at least in the life of our congregation, because our our ministries, in my estimation, were just doing incredibly well. They were rocking. Youth 
were making great strides in their faith journeys. We, we were seeing more and more kids showing up to Kingdom Kids, where we now have to take out a wall so that they can all be together. Churches were, around the world were coming together in camaraderie to share ministry. The, the, the churches here in Central Oregon, we had three or four churches represented in our Awana program on Wednesday night. That, there was that kind of uh, community and unity in, in the body of Christ. Discipleship plans were being drawn up and talked about by our eldership. People were getting baptized. The church was reaching out. We were seeing people's lives changed. And then the pandemic hit. And the momentum stopped. And then all we ever see anymore on the news is bad news about death and protests and continual lockdowns and such. Then your pastor falls and breaks his back. And a longtime member of our congregation dies. And I can't even get out to see his widow. And it wears on us. It wore on me. I'm not sure about you. That's a dangerous place for us as believers to live, church. To, to, to be tired and weary. How do I know? Well, because I look here at Elijah's life. He's tired. He's weary. And his defenses are down. And it makes him afraid. Here's one lady. One lady that he's just showed power over, and she wants him dead, and now he's afraid. Man, he would love to take a break, but it just keeps coming. Just keeps coming at him fast. And so he runs again from Jezreel in the north all the way down uh, through Israel, through Judah, down to Beersheba in the south, close to 60 miles. He leaves his servant there. In Beersheba, and he isolates himself even more as he goes about 10 to 12 more miles into the desert. At this point, he just collapses under a broom tree, which is actually part of the juniper tree family. So we would understand what that looks like. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of shade uh, at all, but you can tell that he's now in the desert area. And, and he prays a very unlikely prayer that should have ever come from the mouth of a prophet. Look at uh, verse 4 of chapter 19, the last part of 4. This is his prayer. He says, I have had enough. I've had enough. Jehovah, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had enough. Take my life. Now, even though that's what he's feeling, and you can't deny what you feel. You must always understand that perception is not always reality. Here's Elijah thinking that God somehow is no longer in control. The God who showed up on Mount Carmel apparently cannot protect Elijah from one lady. You, you know what's making him feel that way? His exhaustion, his, his weariness, and he cannot see the truth. So an angel shows up, tells him, Get up and eat. Let's, let's refresh you. Let's, let's get refreshed. And so uh, Elijah, Elijah says, eat? Eat what? I, I didn't bring a, a lunch. Sometimes when we get into a funk, we neglect to take care of ourselves. We don't care for our bodies or our minds or our spirits. We forget that health is important to our entire being. Sometimes we make things worse by by going crazy with a cheese whiz, literally, by sabotaging our relationships with other people with a, a short fuse. However it looks, 
however it looks, we sometimes become our own worst enemies by not taking care of ourselves. Get up, Elijah. Get up and eat. So he looks and he realizes that once again, God is there. God has provided. God is taking care of his needs. There before him was some freshly baked bread. We don't know how it got there. It was a miracle. And there was a jar of water. What a, what a miraculous find in a, in a desert place. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we studied Noah's 40-day journey. God had not forgotten Elijah. God remembered Noah. God remembers you. God remembers Elijah. Remember, you are engraved on the palm of his hand. Now, now we're almost at this 40-day event in the story of Elijah. Because after eating, Elijah then falls asleep again and is woken up a second time by the angel where, who says to him in verse 7, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Meaning that I've got something else for you to do. See, let me tell you something here, folks. God sometimes allows you to go through tough times. And he often does give us more than we can personally handle on our own. I know that you've heard that, that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. It says in the Bible that God's not going to give you more temptation than what you can stand up to. But it never says that he will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul will tell us that God has given him more than he can handle so that Paul would learn to trust more and more in God rather than his own plans. And there's, that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which is on another slide, but that's okay. The 40-day journey then happens after Elijah eats again, and his strength is renewed, and he now takes a 40-day hike up to the mountain of God called Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai, where, where Moses was there and God showed up in power, as we saw last week. 40-day journey after exhaustion. 40 days up the mountain. A quarantine that is intended to bring Elijah closer to God. He is out of strength. He is out of direction. He is out of ideas. He is out of hope. And yet Elijah draws close to God. Because where else can he go? And on that mountain, in one of the many caves up there, Elijah gets to shelter in place for the night And on day 41, God has plans for Elijah's post-quarantine life. There in verse 9, this is what we read. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, well, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Yehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Yehu. Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding What's going on while you're sheltering in place? Now, let me tell you this. You you can read this in a couple different ways. I do not believe that God is beating Elijah up for being discouraged. I think God is meeting Elijah where Elijah is. It's not as much scolding as it's an opportunity to teach Elijah something important. God had said it's now time to leave shelter in place. Now get up. Go outside. Look beyond your present situation because I want to show you something. And what God is showing to Elijah comes in a surprising manner. Surprising at least to Elijah. He's used to God showing up in in power, doing some pretty amazing things like consuming an altar with fire from heaven. Folks, maybe much of our struggle comes today because we expect God to powerfully burn away the circumstances that we're in, to, to shatter the pressure that we feel to blow away our enemies. But maybe, maybe instead he wants to reveal himself to us much more intimately. He wants us to to be quiet and to listen to his quiet whisper. Elijah, Trey, you've expected to see me in the wrong places. Just quiet down. Just listen, listen. Folks, in a time when many of us felt like we were so powerless to do anything because we were ordered to stay away from other people, we were ordered to stay at home, to shelter in place, we were ordered to miss out on the things that once had strengthened us, like gathering together as a people of God. But I want to tell you that even in those circumstances, God still has a purpose for you. Now, I may not be flashy. It may be actually working in the background, but he still has a purpose for you nonetheless. You know, I have encountered people in my life who have come to me and have talked about the darkness that they live in, the depression that they, that they face. And 100% of the time, when I asked those people, where are you serving? They said to me, oh, nowhere. We're not serving anywhere. That to them, they can't comprehend actually getting outside of the darkness inside of their lives and serving anywhere. They, they feel so paralyzed and crippled. They stay at home. They stay in the darkness. And I tell them, the first thing that you must do is to get out of yourself and begin serving someplace. And in 100% of those times that I've told people to go serve, even if it's in the background, to go serve, that was the first step for them out of their darkness. The first step out of depression as they looked to God to bring healing into their lives. The purpose is to connect with God's kingdom, with his ministry, with his people. I I love how God says to Elijah, you're not alone. 
In verse 18, he says, listen, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel who are in the same boat as you. They've not bowed their, their knee to Baal. Their mouths have not kissed him. See, God is calling Elijah into service, and he's calling Elijah back into fellowship. Service and fellowship. Folks, that's the remedy. That's the remedy for the times that we're tempted to stay in our cave and to throw our pity party because we feel so overwhelmed. The, the times that we want to dwell in the village of discouragement. See, that's what I truly am looking forward to once we can all gather again to have fellowship and service. We won't be sheltering in place forever, but while we are there, I, I want you to begin to listen to God's voice because he still calls to you in, in, in a very calm way. What are you doing here? Are you using this time well? Or are you letting it get you down and wear you out? What are you going to decide to do? Where will you be involved to take your eyes off of your circumstances to make you see the purpose that God has for your life? I, I love how people have started to gather together in home groups to watch services. We have a, uh, there, there's one of them that gathered last week. I, I don't know, Steve, I, I didn't check with you. Do we have uh, the, the video from, no, okay, that's fine. Oh, we did receive a video from another uh, home gathering, uh, people saying hi to us. Um, and, and that's just awesome. If you look at this picture, you'll see joy. You'll see joy as, as they have begun to gather together, maybe in less than groups of 25, but that's okay. You can see that joy on every face there. They're still in quarantine but they're living in a joyous connection with a God who is bigger than their circumstances and still has a plan for their lives. That's what I want you to see, that that is available to you as well. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. And as they do, I, I just want to tell you a real quick story. Uh, Howard Hendricks is a, uh, was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Excellent teacher, has written many books. If you ever found a, a book by Howard Hendricks, I would, I would very much recommend it. He's a sharp guy, uh, very uh, astute, very insightful, very humorous. Uh, he's a very wise person. One day, as he was teaching there at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Hendricks asked a student, Hey, how you doing? He knew that the student had been going through some tough times, and so he was just checking in and said, How are you doing? And the student began to answer Howard Hendricks by saying, well, sir, under the circumstances, and Howard Hendricks stopped that student right there. And he says, circumstances, circumstances, what in the world are you doing under there? What in the world are you doing under circumstances? Folks, that's not where God wants us to be under circumstances because he has come so that we might have victory over circumstances. Circumstances definitely surround us. They always will. Today, it's a coronavirus. Next, next month, next year, we don't know what it's going to be. We will always have circumstances. They will always surround us. But God has purposed and intended for us as his people to never be crushed by the circumstances. They should never have the upper hand. So if you are feeling tired and weary today, I want you to begin to listen to that voice of God because he's going to direct you away from being crushed under circumstances 
And he's going to allow you to find the victory in service and in fellowship in some way. That's my encouragement to you. I, I love you. I love serving as your pastor. I want to pray for you right now. And then we will uh, close our service with a song. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to see this power. The power not just that would come down on Mount Carmel to consume this altar, but the power to speak intimately into our lives and to tell us that you still have a purpose and a direction for us. Lord, Elijah had more things to do in his life, and so do we. So, Lord, I would pray that we would be able to shed off that weariness that many of us are having after two months of having to shelter in place. Lord, allow us to see the, the things that you have in store for us and the things that we can begin to do now that will encourage fellowship and service. And God, I would pray that as we do that, we would step away from the weariness and that we would be rejuvenated with the joy of the Lord, which wants to be our strength, if we will just allow that. Father God, we, we love you and we invite you into our life one more time as you bring your spirit, the power that he brings into us. As we are living in the days of Elijah, may we see that kind of power as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.